It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy, and welcome, everybody. Uh, Today, we are here. uh, Nice to see some people, some familiar faces. Nice to see some new people online as well. Uh, This is our weekly get-together for IOs, HR professionals, recruiters, and all of those of you who work in the people-helping industry. Uh, Jeremy, today, we're talking about the how-to of effective routine communication in the remote workforce. That's a long title. <laughs> that, is, that is a long title. Before we get started with that, uh, because this goes out to the podcast, so some people are listening, I want to put this up front for today. If you're an IO and you're dissatisfied with how things are going with your career, if you're not get, if you didn't get what you needed with your with your graduate program, and you're looking, how do I make a splash? How do I start to find my way? How do I find my niche in the area of IO? And how do I take this this degree and how do I stand out from other IOs with this fast growing market? We have an IO Pathfinder, Career Pathfinder program. There's currently a waiting list. You can go to cboc.com and sign up for that. Yes, it's a long title. The How-To of of Effective Routine Communication in the Remote Workforce. I almost blindly put remote workforce in there because I think this applies really any, I mean, we're probably going to talk about things that apply anywhere. We'll try to tailor it, tailor it more for virtual and remote. And the reason this topic is so important phys- in, in the physical workspace, let alone in, in the virtual workspace, I think I'm, I've always tried to figure out what keeps people from communicating with their, with employees and with each other. And I think part of it is it's, I think it's the, well, if I check in with someone in a meaningful way and they follow up, then I'm tied in and I have to actually start to engage with them. And I don't have time. I think it, it all comes down to a matter of time and people feeling bothered by any kind of uh, routine communication. So today we're going to get perspective from a lot of different people. And what I'm what my, my contribution for today will probably be what are the, the quick hit kinds of things? What are the different things that people can do, turning it into habit and action items where uh, people start to realize, here are some things I can do. It's not going to take a lot of time. It's going to be less scary and actual action items. So, Tom, I'll turn it back over to you and welcome, everyone. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, let me just keep you active for a second because 
you know, I want to ask as we're looking at communication issues in the remote workforce, or even in the daily routines at the office, uh, what are the kind of issues that we're going to be looking at? Uh, because, of course, my head first goes to verbal communication and, and speaking. So sometimes there's issues with, with language. Sometimes people have learned English as a second or third language. English is becoming the lingua franca of the business community. So even now we've got, you know, companies in Japan who work entirely in English. So especially if we're working with a remote force, is that part of the issue that people's English skills may not be very good? And therefore, we're running into just sometimes basically understanding them. And we're all usually too polite to say, sorry, I didn't understand that. Tom, I'm going to turn that right back over to you because you're the <laughs> you, you've worked, you, you, you've had a lot of discussions. I know you've had some clubhouse rooms and you've you've coached people on on that aspect of it in, in terms of um, what do you call it? Dialect? What do you call it? Um, accent modification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was way off, but go ahead. <laughs> well, it, it really is a key issue, and it seems to be growing all the time now, especially as we go to a global workforce. Um, you know, English, luckily for us, where I think everyone on the show today is probably an English speaker. Uh, some of you may have learned English as a second language, and if you learned it long, young, you're incredibly lucky. Uh, back in my university teaching days, uh, I worked at a university which was uh, had a lot of variety in where people came from. And I noticed with students who were now in their late teens, early 20s, that if they had moved to North America, you know, before the age of about eight to 10 years of, of age, there was very little accent in their um, adult or mature voice. But once you hit about that 10 to 12 age, um, even if you come to North America, you learn English, uh, you still seem to retain a bit of the, the accent or dialect. Now, there's nothing wrong with accents. I love accents. I think they actually draw us in. But it's about clarity. And if we start to lose clarity in speech, all of a sudden words are mispronounced and it starts to affect the communication process. And anytime there is a breakdown in that communication process, it really causes issue. Uh, I think everybody is probably aware that if a communication breaks down, there are issues, but it goes far beyond, you know, the accent. And sometimes we think of, of accents solely as an issue dealing with people who have learned English as a second language. But there are dialects, regional dialects, which are just darn hard to understand. <laughs> some of the southern dialects in the United States, uh, some of the really hard New York or Boston accents uh, up here in Canada. Um, if you've never met a true Newfoundlander, good luck in understanding what they're talking about. And then we've got to look at things like speed of speech. If you talk too fast, it's really hard for people to understand and keep up with what you're talking about. And we have an amazing ability to understand and interpret language up to rates over 400 words per minute. I've heard up to 800 words per minute, which seems a little crazy, but it exhausts the brain. If you're listening at that rate, you can last maybe two minutes and then you're going to start to tune out. So we've got to look at speed of speech, pausing and phrasing. Jeremy, you and I talk about the effectiveness of pausing all the time. Um, volume, tone, all of those things are going to color the communication process. And if you know what you're doing, if you've embraced some of those skills, it gives you this amazing ability to really control the conversation to, doesn't matter if it's a single individual or an entire room. If you can control your verbal skills, you can really control the environment. And in that environment, communication becomes so tuned in 
that you basically can lead people down the path to the decision you want them to make. But that doesn't often happen. And that's just one of the issues that can come into play when we're looking at how communication breaks down. Yeah, I know. I know. I know this wasn't your purpose, but it's a good time for the, you know, that's one of the things with, with the Pathfinder program too, is it's 40 minutes included each, each month, you get a consult call with one of our experts, Tom's one of those. So that's one of those uh, free monthly things you can choose Tom and work. So that's another benefit of being um, a Pathfinder member, but what you're going with too, it's any, anything that prevents us. It's like with the, uh, when you're, if you want, if you don't want your house to be robbed, you just basically, you don't have to build a complete fortress and a moat and everything. You just have to make it just hard enough to break into your house so they go to your neighbors, who's, who's easier to break into. So when things are harder to, um, to get to, and where I'm going with this is, if you're communicating in the workplace and you want to have routine, effective communication with someone, but it's hard to, it's hard to understand them a little bit. Uh, maybe even in terms of thought process, we've worked with people who it might not be a, uh, a not dialect, Tom, what's the word again? Uh, accent. Might, geez, it might not be an accent uh, kind of thing, but it might be a, they're really confusing to talk to and their thoughts don't really come together that, that good. So these are all barriers to routine communication in, in the workplace. So that brings up, now that you make me think about it, Tom, it's important to look at this not in term, not just in terms of what can leaders do, but what can everybody do? What can we do to start to notice why isn't my boss wanting routine communication with me? And what is it? What's preventing that? Um, the first thing, the, the, something that just popped into my head, think of the interactions that you have with people. Do you leave them with less energy or more energy than when you started the conversation? That's usually a good gauge of whose fault is it to, uh, so keep, keep that in mind, Tom. Well then Jeremy, I mean, we, <laughs> we've just talked about the voice, but then if we're talking about remote workers, we also have to look at the fact that I'm now on camera and I'm now using a mic basically <laughs> for everybody watching. Welcome to my world. You're now an entertainer. You're now on camera, you're on stage, and you're expected to give a performance. So, and communication can break down so easily in this online world. I mean, one of the first things that, you know, Jeremy, you and I talk about, or, you know, one of the first things I'll do when I'm interviewing people is get them to adjust their camera, because there are some really strange things that go on. I mean, if I'm just going to take my camera off here for a second, and for those people who, you know, they always have their laptop on, on their desk and they're, they just flip it open and it's not actually eye level. Well, now I'm looking down at you and you know, if who has the upper hand here, who has the major status, you know, and you also don't want to be one of these guys. So, you know, really one of the basics is start to work with your camera is get it eye level. That way it looks like you're having a person to person conversation with the person you're talking to, especially if you're looking at the camera. One of the rules that I always have is, you know, if Jeremy was speaking, I'd be looking at my screen, looking at Jeremy. But then when I speak, I look at my camera so that, you know, it looks like as I'm speaking with everyone that I'm actually, you know, having an eye to eye, eye, -to -eye conversation with you. Uh, you'll also notice that my eyes are in the top third, basically, of the screen. And that's where you want your eyes to be. Um, and, and there's a lot of talk about with video, we lose um, body language. Well, you lose certain aspects, 
but you get facial recognition, you get the facial expressions, which most people don't realize are actually highlighted when you're on camera. Uh, a, a small little facial move in real life really gets blown up on camera. So you can really start to look at things uh, like people's facial expressions. Watch if they're using their hands. Uh, you can really talk, you know, a lot of communication and a lot of messages are sent with people looking, you know, people talking with their hands. Brendan, I see your hand is up. Let's go to you. Thanks. Um, you, you brought up something that was really interesting and um, something that I actually spoke to multiple clients about when the pandemic had started was everyone was wearing a face mask. And the perfect example of that was there's no emotions being displayed and um, how that impacts our ability to communicate. And I have a great example of great acting where you cannot actually see somebody's face, but you can only see their eyes. If you ever go back and watch The Dark Knight Rises, where Tom Hardy has that mask on for three hours, but he displays so much emotion in his eyes. And um, that's where I've actually seen it in play. So I just wanted to share that. A great point. And, you know, the eyes really are the window to the soul. And <laughs> how would you like to look at people's souls? Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Just, <clears throat> pardon me, a comment on on the, the audio, I mean, the visual aspect of things. I, I recently read some information about a study that was done, and they found that when it's a task-based conversation, there's more equity in the conversation when it's audio only. That people tend to participate on a more equal basis when it's a task-based thing, if it's just an audio only. And so I think that that's something to consider because as you said, when we're we're on performance, right? We're we're making sure our makeup's right. We're making sure that we're sitting here properly. We're making sure that we don't have any distractions. But if you're just on audio, uh, it's a whole different way of engaging. Because for me, when I want to think deeply, a lot of times I'll close my eyes. And so to have it just audio, I process information on a very different level than uh, when I'm doing a video because it's more first level, when I'm doing an audio, I can think more deeply. So I think that's a consideration to give when you're doing routine um, communication, because you're talking about your projects or or clients or whatever it is that you're working on. And, and we can get away from a little bit of the video. It also, when you change media, makes things a little more interesting. You're absolutely right. And, you know, when the pandemic first hit, we all got into video really, really quickly, and it seemed like the only tool. <laughs> and then we started to hear things like Zoom fatigue, uh, which which I've got an interesting theory about, I might get into later, uh, and Zoom dysmorphia, where the truth is we overused video. We don't always have to be using video. Audio platforms or even member, member making phone calls, the, <laughs> the audio is actually one of the great ways because you you don't have to look good you just need to sound good and it takes a lot of pressure off people and we start to reveal a little bit more when people can't see our face um, unfortunately you know if you're on my side i can't see your face so i don't know i can't pick up some of those other signals as well but there's time a phone call works there's time getting on something like twitter spaces or using deep dive for meetings or club posts for meetings can work incredibly well and then sometimes you just need to send people a text message. So we really sort of got out of control with using video. It's a great tool, but we don't need to overuse it. Lee, I see your hand up. Let's go to you next. And then Brittany, we're over to you. Then Megan. Hey, thanks, Tom. Um, you know, one thing that I, I 
I can say, you know, going back to what, what Linda and just said with the, the uh, phone calls. Um, and I think that kind of depends on the people we're talking about, because I know people that if I get them on a phone call, they're not paying attention because they're doing something else and I can't see them. But if I put them on a video, they have to pay attention because I can tell when they're not. So I think that kind of comes down to the to the knowing the people. Um, but to what you were saying about the video, um, you know, the uh, when we each year in the Navy, we, we pick the, the new people to be promoted to to a, a senior, you know, senior NCO position. And they go through an extreme training cycle. Well, during COVID, we couldn't do that in person. So it was all done on Microsoft Teams and uh, what we call the Brady Bunch Square. You know, you get everybody in there. And one of my people was going through. And one thing that you notice is that when you get all people in a, in a classroom or, a, you know, an auditorium or even standing in formation, you know, in a military context is you can kind of hide in the crowd. But in a video, even if you're not the one talking, we have a close up of your face. And so whenever you're in a, you know, you're uncomfortable or whatever it is, we all can see it when we might not otherwise. Plus, I mean, you know, I'm looking at you right now and I'm seeing you much closer than I would be were you and I in the same room, because this would be a very uncomfortable uh, distance for you and I, I would imagine. Um, so that's definitely something to kind of keep in mind is that, you know, you, you get a lot more up close and personal you know, maybe, maybe too much. So. <laughs> well, and you can actually use that, you know, if you think about the way that film and television uses the close up, you know, <laughs> as opposed to the master shot where you can see everything. And, and what we're really sort of working in is the two shot. So it's basically that time in film and television shows when characters are having closer, intimate conversations. This is <laughs> this is the zone we're working in when we're usually using something like Zoom. So, you know, take that into relationships. You know, we're having automatically we're in the comfort zones of each other. So we want to sort of think about that when we're having discussions online. Sometimes it might be more appropriate you know, for me to be back here where I'm a little less intimidating, a little less in your face. And so, you know, not only keep an eye on who it is you're talking to and their preferred communication styles. And sometimes, yeah, you got to get people on video because phone's not going to work for you. Uh, but then start to think about what is the role that you want to play? Uh, you know, do you want to be close to the camera? Do you want to back off a little bit? All of that is going to have an impact on the relationship that you're having and that communication process. Uh, Brittany, let's go to you. Tom, when you opened up this portion of our uh, conversation today, you touched on a global phenomenon, and I want to bring that phenomenon down to a team level. So you mentioned that in Japan, there are some organizations that use English because it's the Franco lingua of the working world. There are high context countries and low context countries. So for example, Japan is an island state and has been for many, many years. And so communication there isn't as explicit as we will have in the workplace in the U.S. because there's such an understanding. And the words almost mean so little. It's more about what's the meaning or the message behind the words that's being communicated. And that's how people communicate with each other. Whereas in the U.S., America as it is today was formed by multiple cultures coming together. 
So we love clarity and we are extremely explicit about exactly what we want done, how we want it done, when we want it to be finished. And there's not really any hidden meaning between what we're talking about. Now to bring this down to a team level, I think we need to be conscious. You know, if our team has been together for six years and there's so much history and so many shortcuts built into our communication that can alienate new people coming on board. So we need, or it could be useful to switch back to being more explicit and giving tons and tons of context and information around what we're communicating so that those people aren't alienated and feel lost when they begin working with us. You know, I, I will tell every speaker that if they're using acronyms, the very first time you use the acronym, you got to tell us what it means. <laughs> and then we'll pick it up and we'll get it through, maybe remind us once in a while. But it's Settle Neely. Dr. Settle Neely is doing some, some great work, as, as many of you know, on the remote work field. And she's got some really interesting things to say about that. You know, number one is get rid of the acronyms. Get, get rid of the, the jargon and the local uh, phrases or the, even the industry or company phrases that you may have adopted. Or you need to teach them to those new recruits when they come on board. Uh, and we also have to talk a little bit about that cultural aspect, because especially when we're working in teams where there's individuals from multiple parts of the world, we can run into those culture barriers. Uh, and she's got a really interesting philosophy that, you know, I don't know if I'm 100% behind, but I'm interested to see it in action. And her philosophy is take culture out of it, at least at the initial part and just focus on the communication aspect. Once you can get the communication to a level where everybody's equal, then they start to share their culture. And it's really sort of a different viewpoint. I'm now sharing my culture with you, where if we implemented culture and communication at the very beginning, we, you know, you can't say that to me because it, it's not appropriate in my culture or, you know, whatever the, the issue is going to be that's going to get us into conflict. So if we can actually take culture out to start with, the end result is supposed to be that things are actually better that way and can actually enhance culture because we can then share it when we can actually communicate. If we try to share that culture before we've opened up those channels of communication, it usually leads to not a great place. Uh, thank you very much, Brittany. Megan, let's go to you. Hi, you guys are all making some really great points, especially Linda Ann with um, going to audio only sometimes. Um, I recently put my job at a company that was pretty much always audio only, and it was remote before COVID, right? So um, it left a cultural gap in the workplace. Like we didn't know who our coworkers were, and the meetings were really disengaged as far as like employee engagement and um, just feeling like you're actually part of the team. So from a cultural workplace standpoint, how do you fix that at that point? Like, because it comes to like the audio is good, but when you're interacting with people remotely um, and building teams, isn't it better to have that FaceTime? I, I think so. I mean, <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe Linda Ann, you've got a different view here, but how can you form a partnership with somebody 
that you can't see their face, that you can't really get to know. Um, but once again, I don't think any company should go down exclusively one path for communication. I think it should be a combination of video, audio, and text-based messaging. I think that's the best way for any organization to go. Um, let me ask you, Megan, would, if, if the company had said to you, okay, we want to focus mainly on audio, but let's get some video going. Let's just get some, sometimes we just need to text. Do you think that would have actually improved things? Um, I don't know because of the format of the meetings. There's a lot of talking at people as opposed to actually interacting which also made an issue. Um, I was just curious because I quit that job tomorrow or Monday. I start a consulting job that I've never done before. So I'm just trying to take this in and figure that out because that was a major um, issue with the company. So. Well, well, congratulations <laughs> and hope things go better in the consulting <laughs> position. Um, Linda, Ann, I'm actually going to go to you next because I think you've got a response to that. Yes, I I think that that the problem is beyond, from what you've said, I think the problem is beyond the audio communication, right? It was how they were being communicated with over audio. When you say someone's being talked at, right, that's not communication, really. That's, and so um, I think that that along with Tom, I think that what I had mentioned was there needs to be that mix of media and it's appropriate for certain types of meeting. Like the, what, what this particular article had mentioned was, you know, it was task-based things where, the, and there was more equity in the participation because of, of the audio. But that doesn't mean that if you're having some kind of, you know, um, problem solving meeting or, or something like that, that it shouldn't be video um, or some combination of whatever. So I think that, but what you said to me revealed that I think there's other issues beyond how they were communicating over audio. I, you're right. I just think um, the communication in the meetings over audio didn't help the situation. It, mm -hmm. it made it worse. So yeah, I, absolutely. Um, and, and Tom, just, I wanted to make one comment about, you know, when you're talking about the different dialects and linguistics and, and things like that, uh, one of the things that I've loved about the whole remote pandemic transition has been the opportunity to interact with people from, you know, all parts of the world. And so often, because there's uh, English is the primary language being spoken, people will automatically uh, apologize for their accent or whatever. And I instantly say to them, please do not apologize for speaking a second language, because that's so admirable. And to not worry about it and make them feel relaxed about whatever it is, so that, uh, and, it, and it helps the situation a lot, when they can feel that they're not constantly being judged. So I just wanted to add those two cents. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's, you've got to be supportive of their efforts to want to try to communicate. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I spent some time on Clubhouse over the fall and winter and was in accent modification um, rooms. And I had the opportunity to, to talk to people all over the world. When the troops were pulled out of Afghanistan, I was talking to people in Afghanistan while that was happening. And they wanted to talk about, you know, their, their use of English, <laughs> but then you could actually talk to them about what was actually going on. And it took, you know, the news media away. 
It took governments away. We took all of those layers of censorship out of the way, and I could actually have a conversation with somebody in Afghanistan and another, uh, a number of other companies, uh, countries as well. So it was really incredible. Um, thank you very much for that, Linda. And uh, Roxanne, you've had your hand up for a while. Let's go to you. All right. Hey. <laughs> so virtual communication. First, I am in a global organization. I contract for Google. So this is something that they've excelled at for quite a while. Um, ultimately, it would boil down to your culture prior to being virtual or not, to know how um, how you relate to your people at first. And then also you need to, like leadership need to help define, you know, get to know their employees. Like, how do you wanna be communicated with? What do you like best? Give them that flexibility to be what's most comfortable for them. Like if they don't wanna be on the microphone or something, if they just wanna use the microphone, no video, that's up to them. And then maybe have some expectations, you know, when we're in these type of meetings with our superior, would you please be on your, your video? So definitely using that communication for what the expectations are for certain types of meetings would go a long way. Yeah, there, you know, one of the things we really haven't established yet is the etiquette or best practices for how we use these new tools that have been thrust at us. So, you know, I'll always talk about, I mean, the way that I'm framed and my eyes are in the top third of the screen and you can focus on me, you know, but you can also let your eyes wonder because when we're in a meeting with people in, in the real world, we don't make eye contact all the time. You know, we might have a thought and we, you know, our eyes might go to the side. So, we can really start to incorporate all those things and bring something like a video conversation to another level than when people really don't have the know-how or the best practices. So that I think that's coming. I think we're going to eventually develop that. Uh, the estimates that I'm hearing, and, and <laughs> working at Google, you might know this better than I, but I've heard people talk about you know the fact that you know you're absolutely right. There were companies working remotely before the pandemic you know, back to 20 to 30 years ago. And there have been remote only companies for over 10 years, but all of a sudden, all of us got thrusted into it. There's a lot to learn from those companies, such as Google, who have been doing it for an incredibly long period of time. So we're going to probably see a lot of information coming in the next six months about how to use, you know, the technology and the tools a lot better. Um, Ariana, I believe you're up next. Hi. Yeah, I wanted to add to the conversation around the types of format that we can use, whether it's like turning your video off for task related meetings. I think that's a super interesting contribution from Linda Ann. Um, but I also think that sometimes we have to establish trust in the different ways that we do it. So I think that if you really know your team, then going off video, like you know who each other are already. So that's something that I wanted to bring up that we haven't really talked about yet around communication in the remote world is actually sometimes moving away from the task-oriented conversations and making sure that you're putting time on the calendar um, for socialization. I think that that's something that I've seen been lost on occasion in different companies is that the remote world has thrust us into a pure work kind of feeling sometimes. And some companies almost feel like it's a waste of time to set time for socialization, especially when people are really busy, especially if it's a culture of overwork. But those social relationships bolster the organization in ways that are less direct. So in in person organizations, I had the opportunity to network with people in 
the marketing department. And perhaps that wasn't a one-to-one with my job tasks, but then I would be in the know what would be happening in the thought leadership space, which would then tie back to big studies that we were running and it would have all these contributions. And I think we see that in your own direct team setting as well, where if you have that ability to build more rapport, then there is more inherent trust when engaging on projects. So I just wanted to bring that up. I think it's great. And, and Linda Han, I see your hands back up. So I think you probably got a response to that. But you want to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, um, I wanted to to comment in that regard when, when she was talking about, um, Ariana was talking about, you know, the trust and those kinds of things in the communication and how important that is. I think something else that's really important with that is making sure that these routine communications are necessary and valuable and, you know, efficient so that people aren't checking out even though they're on video and that they understand that you've taken the time to make this a worthwhile communication so that I can go back and actually do work. And that balance, I think, is really important in uh, the the routine communication process. Yeah, I agree on 100%. Jake, let's go to you. Hi, sorry, my camera's off. I'm actually in the middle of eating lunch right now, and you don't, guys don't want to see that. Um, so just a quick comment. I think during the first week of a new employee's start time, it's incredibly important for them to just have meeting greets, one-on-one conversations with the people they'll be working with. I muted my mic, sorry. Uh, I don't see it done often, but it makes it so much more comfortable for an employee to ask a new employee to ask somebody else a question in a remote environment after they have the initial conversation with them. So just setting up that first one-on-one meeting, have the hiring manager set up the schedule before they even their start date even. And it just allows them to get to know the people they'll be working with. It doesn't have to be crazy. 15 minutes with the top five people they're working with goes a long way. Yeah. You know, every time I work with a new organization, I spend time just talking to people and getting to know a little bit about them. And, and it's amazing. It amazes me that one of the things I'll say to them is, how do you like to work, especially when it comes to communication? And, and most people are floored that I even asked them that question. So it, it really does have an impact. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Jeremy, let's go back to you. We have reached about, I think we've got about 22 minutes left. Uh, You want to give us a bit of an update on uh, what's happening with CBOC? Yeah, first, hey, this was a good topic. I didn't expect this to be that drawing in of a topic we've had 10 people speak so far in a half hour which usually we don't have that many so i guess it's a pretty good topic and maybe there's a lesson here um uh, as you choose topics going forward 
It wasn't the title. I can tell you that. It was. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've uh, the podcast continues to, to to grow. It keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. We've um, we, we get new more and more followers every day. People are hearing your voices. Speaking of, you know, the, those of you who are speaking, they are really starting to find value. I look at the the data uh, on the podcast growth every day. I mean, just in the past month, we've doubled our all time. Uh, past thirty day, uh, past thirty day downloads completely just doubled uh, in this in this past month. So it's really growing. And and the, the other good news, as Seabock, one of our main things here is to grow the IO brand and to, and so that people can start thinking instead of what is IO. It's you know we work on that brand of IO, so we don't have to do that. Um, when you look at the the tagline of the podcast is get ahead. With, with industrial organizational psychology. So hopefully people are starting to see and hear and understand in our brand as a field of, of IO as we continue to grow and grow. Uh, another quick reminder for the Pathfinder program, kind of something that I forget, I think it was Ariana who mentioned, I wrote real big, game time for the Pathfinder members. Cause you mentioned about growing in that socialization. For, for if any of you remember back, I don't, I, I lose track of years. It might have been last year or the previous year, but we would do game time. We would do 30 minutes and we would play Mind Trap. We would do it every two weeks, Mind Trap, this really cool lateral thinking puzzle game. And I'm thinking maybe I bring that back just to grow that rapport uh, and that connection. Uh, so thank you, Ariana, for that uh, triggering that particular thought. But yeah, the Pathfinder program, it's good. We keep massaging it and growing it and growing it with the benefits. We're actually bringing in some uh, discount providers like Legal Shield and some other ones so that our members can have, um, um, you know, even like SPSS so that our members can have discounts with software and with services that are pertinent to them. So if you haven't joined the waiting list, I know many of you have right now, I think we're at 149 that are on the waiting list and we're, we're, we're getting through those each and every day, taking people off the waiting list, getting their emails and um, have seven days to to um to join before their spots given up other than that things are just really going well i'm really excited about what everyone here is doing uh, new new people that are joining us uh I can't, I can't say old people previous people current steady people that are joining us in helping to get the word out for what io is and really everyone just taking charge of every career and helping other people uh helping others that's it Tom. back to you well i also wanted to mention that um little side project I'm doing for those people who do become members is what I'm loosely calling uh, right now working title, uh, the memberships or the mentors series. And so all of the pathfinders I'm interviewing, uh, we're getting advice, especially for the members who may still be in university or just starting their career. But there's also going to be lots of good information for those people who have been in the industry for a number of years. Um, actually, later today, I'm going to be interviewing Candace Gottlieb Clark, who has just released her new book, uh, Find, Fix, Fill, Your Leadership Gap. Uh, I've just finished reading. It's an incredible book, and you might want to check it out. And <laughs> and that podcast will probably be up in about two weeks. Um, Jeremy, uh, have you been keeping an eye on the chat? Uh, I haven't. I'm going to look. But on that note with, with Candice's book, she she's doing a rollout. If anyone wants... She's doing a rollout where you can, where you can get the book for 99 cents, um, the, the Kindle version. 
So if anyone wants that information, Tom, what's the name of the book again? It's called Find, Fix, Feel Your Leadership Gap. Yeah. Um, if I can find it quickly, I'm going to put a link to that in the in the chat. Uh, if for some reason I don't, just send an email to hello at cbuck.com. We'll make sure you get the link. Um, I, I should be able to do that. But Tom, it seems like I'm going to turn it back over to you and look at the chat. Is that what you Great. want? Yes, because uh, I see it's quite active. <laughs> okay, very good. And, yeah, and Jeremy's right. Uh, Amazon, 99 cents, um, if you've got the reader. Uh, yep, I'll get the link for that. Thanks, Tom. Excellent. Linda Ann, let's go to you. I just wanted to make a comment when we were talking about the um, the conversation and the title of the this morning's podcast. I interpreted it to mean that the, the conversation would be around how do we manage the virtual communication process in a more um, structured way so that people can find time to focus. In other words, people aren't spending all their time responding to Teams, videos, uh, Zoom calls, and actually have time to focus. And especially with multiple time zones, how is that being adjusted, managed? Um, What expectations are being set? Uh, <laughs> it would have been great if we got down that path, uh, because, because and I think Ariana might have to have an answer for you. But, you know, it's absolutely true because I'm hearing stories. You know, once again, it goes back to communication. I'm hearing stories of remote teams who are in different parts of the world. Uh, the Japanese office has to have a meeting with the, the office in London, but they don't have really good communication skills. So they set, <laughs> they set the meeting at like two o'clock in the morning in London, hoping that nobody shows up. So, so those are the issues which are actually out there. Um, Ariana, let's go to you. Well, that, I would not recommend that as a best practice. <laughs> I think it's ideal that when we set meetings, all of our team members can join. But I actually, I face this in my role. Um, my own team, we're only about 10 people right now. And we still span, you know, the United States to South America to over in Europe. So it feels like there's often this two hour window in any given day when all and I'm in Colorado. So I'm a little bit over in mountain time, which doesn't help. So there's like a two hour period where everyone's um, able to meet. So I think that is a real constraint that we face and not one that's easily resolvable because time zones are what they are. I was going to say something that Linda Ann mentioned around creating time, you know, it's this balance between having enough meetings to tackle what you need related to projects, to stay together, task-oriented, related to team goals, also socializing and also having time to do your work, which I think was always a challenge even before remote life. But my company actually is now trying a no meetings Friday. So I'm curious if anyone else in the group has tried such a thing, what your cadence of meetings is. We have a standing Tuesday weekly team call and then a company-wide meeting once a month on Thursdays. So that's how our company is trying to adjust to remote life. And I'm curious what other team or other people in this panel would say. Yeah, so would I. Uh, Let's open it up and and let's uh, share some of the experiences that people have been having over the last couple of years. (laughs) Ariana, it looks like nobody has had the same experience as you. Um, if you don't mind, let me ask you, how comfortable are you now being on video and doing exactly this? Oh, I see hands are popping up. We'll come back to that. Uh, let's go to Linda Ann and then over to you, Roxanne. I, I think that, that what you have um, 
identified, you know, is that the no meeting Friday, I've, seen, I've heard other people doing that. And basically, you know, even when we were in person, you know, people would have office hours. If you need to come talk to me, then do it within this time frame because I have things to do otherwise, right? So I think that it's just an adaptation of that process where we learn how to respect each other's time. Um, and it's just going through a, a it's just morphing into a different format, you know. You, you remember that old phrase, um, everything I needed to know in life I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> I sometimes feel like we, we've been having meetings with people for, you know, thousands of years just because we're now online. Yeah, there's some still, there, you know, there's some technology you need to learn to, to use it effectively. But we've been having conversations for a long time. So, it, you know, we, we can't forget everything that we've learned from the past <laughs> because there's no need to start over again. Uh, Roxanne, let's go to you. So some of the things here at uh, Google and my personal um, employer, AECOM, they utilize the, the focus function on the Google Calendar. Um, I don't know if it's available worldwide or not, but within Google, we have ability to set a certain amount of hours called focus time where it will automatically reject meetings. Um, and then also for the Google team, they also do the like no meeting Fridays every now and then as well. So it, they really focus the importance on productivity and time management and meeting burnout. Uh, I love that feature. I think I have to get that because right now I'm just blocking my calendar so no one can actually set a meeting with me. I'm, you know, I'm actually blocking time off so I can get work done. <laughs> Thank you, Google. <laughs> Inga, let's go to you. Um, hello, everyone. Um, with us in, in, in our company, the company that I work for, we just I just, in fact, made this with everything that we, we have two meetings each week, which is the whole team. And we in different parts of the world. I am in South Africa. Others are in Stockholm. Others are in Europe. We're like all in different countries. And then we just agreed and all made peace with that. This is after working hours for for, for some of us. But it's fine. We're just going to take the time. And because at the end of the day, we have to have the meeting and we have to be present and we have to build that relationship even though we are far from each other. And another thing that we are also planning is to find time to actually meet in person. But you know the COVID situation and everything, but we're trying the best we can to energize everyone because you'd find that during the week, if there's no meeting or there's nothing, we are not meeting, there's a little of disengagement Everyone is in their corner doing his or her own thing and all of that. And then those meetings help, but not as much as it should. So that is how it, is, it has been happening with the company that I work with. I've recently started, so I'm still trying to figure things out as well. You know, there's, there's a whole work revolution going on, and I'm, I think it's going to eventually go all over the world where employees now are being treated better that you know those relationships um, are becoming valuably important and there's actually a move now to recognize those relationships that leaders have with their team members as an, a form of intangible asset and we can actually now show it on the bottom line 
so I think there's going to become this revolution, if not evolution, evolution, if hopefully not revolution, of this shift of not treating employees so badly, <laughs> giving them more direction and more power. Um, but I was talking with uh, John Evoy, who is in Ireland, working with an organization called Grow Remote. And he's one of these people who has been doing, who's been remote only for years. But one of the things that Grow Remote would do in Ireland is take a city like Dublin. There may be a number of remote workers there. They were before the pandemic getting together physically once a week. So at the end of the week, Friday nights, hey, let's all meet at a pub. And it really helped to build that community. Uh, once the pandemic hit, I heard of a number of organizations that were getting online just to socialize, uh, where, you know, the, in one company, the head of communications was getting together with other employees Friday night, you know, to share some wine online. But one of the things that he was adding was that he was reading bedtime stories to those people's kids. So there are some creative ways for us to socialize online. And, you know, Jeremy, you and I have talked several times about, you know, how do we replace the water cooler? Because there really is some important information shared. And so this whole aspect of, you know, we can only use Zoom when we're working. We've got to convince organizations that the socializing aspect is key. And if we can't do it, you know, in a, in a co-collected place, either because we're scattered all over the world or we're dealing with a pandemic, there really is an opportunity to socialize online. Um, here in Canada, and I know it was similar in many places around the world, musicians were giving live concerts on Friday evenings you know, from their home. So there's a lot of interesting things that we could do. Uh, thank you very much for that, Inga. Jeremy, let's go back to, and, and tell me what's been happening in the chat. Uh, oof, there's a lot that's been happening in the chat, Tom. <laughs> that's it. And it's, it's kind of, it's this ever living organism. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go through, uh, too much of it. Cause I think with the time left that we have, we might get on a bit of a tangent. I do. I would like to share if there is anything pressing that's in the chat that I haven't caught somebody, please raise your hand and say, Hey, well, we need to make sure we get this. Out. Um, so a couple of things I, I wanted to give to, to provide some takeaways that I either had locked and loaded or that this awesome discussion made me think of. So in terms of figuring out the style of, in the, in the preference, sometimes you can just pay attention to how people will communicate with you more often than not, or start out communicating. There's someone that, that, that I started communicating with, uh, regarding the, the, the Pathfinder program. And I realized that the first thing I got was long, was long text, which made me think maybe there's a preference for that because they can just click on the microphone and it, and it does that. So I thought, okay, uh, I'll oblige. So I just sent, I just replied by text. And then I, and then I noticed that even the emails to either me or other people in the group were sent from a phone. And it said, sorry, hey, you know, grammar mistakes, courtesy of my iPhone. So I realized, all right, this person prefers text. So now, and I had, to, I had to text her this morning for something. So now I just realized text is better. So that's one way that you just, some, sometimes it's really just paying attention to what their preferred style is. Um, something that when you look at routine communication in the workplace, we have this thing where, you know, do I respond? Do I say thank you? How much do they want if somebody gives a compliment? Sometimes what I like to do is simply give a, you know, give either a compliment or an update 
or whatever it may be, and simply put at the end, by the way, no need to respond. And what that can do, let's say for some reason, maybe I don't want to engage in this long back and forth. It helps me realize that this isn't going to take up 20 hours of my time. Plus, it lets them know, all right, great, I can go on with my day. So something as simple as, hey, by the way, no need to respond can be very, very effective for multiple reasons. Uh, when looking at uh, routine communication, sometimes it's as easy as, hey, I noticed X, Y, Z. I really like that. Good job. This is what we need. Sometimes when we look at routine communication in the workplace, the, the idea of it being routine is just keep doing it, you know, make it consistent so that people feel um, like they're getting at least a little bit of that social aspect of it. Um, something as simple as sending an email or picking up the phone saying, hey, you're really good at X, Y, Z. What are your thoughts on? People will jump at that and you'll be surprised at how much help and innovation you get from that. Um, you might even say, you might even, let's say you're deciding between two things. Who knows? It could be what, what to have for lunch. You could send an email saying, hey, I'm deciding on A or B, which would you pick? So just having having those quick touches. Uh, now, those are important, but it's also important because these can lead to these high value conversations. They are not empty. The reason these things I'm suggesting are not empty, it's because you're focusing on that other person's talents. You're focusing on making them feel important. That's the whole idea. If you notice the way these things I'm suggesting are, are worded, it's really focusing on them, their experience rather than us. A quick note on the socializing aspect. For, for those, uh, I wrote an article called uh, Team Building versus Team Valuing, or it was something about how bad team building can be, right? Unless we use it in the right way. There is value in socializing. But for, for those companies and those departments who don't know what to do, oh, do we just get everyone and, and talk and the socializing? For some people, because we also have to understand who are the introverts and who are who's going to look at that and say, I'd rather not do that. Make it a game. You know, even your most introverted people will love to kick somebody's butt in a game that can be synchronous or asynchronous. You can do it on Zoom. Mind Trap, I'll mention it to anyone out there that's listening. Mind Trap is a great lateral thinking puzzle game that you can do. So you can gamify some things. You still get that socialization aspect. And then how can you take that one step further? What you do is you can start to get teams and you team up somebody with someone they never thought they'd be teamed up with. Team up frontline with CEO, right? Maybe. So you're starting to get the idea. Um, team up, you know, this person with someone from a different department. And I'll go back to that. And the whole mindset of this is if you're a supervisor, if you're a leader, you are the topic of conversation when your employees go home at the dinner table. And that can be jarring for some people to think about. But how can we do this in an unexpected way where, where people start to feel more appreciated in the organization? And the last thing, sometimes just have time limits and try to stick to them. Now, I'm a fan of you know a 27-minute meeting. It's an odd number, but people tend to think about it and focus on it, stick to it. Make things just a little less, and then you can always ask for more time. But it allows people to think this isn't going to just take up my entire day especially let's face it, if it's, if it's something that's put in the afternoon. So I wanted to provide those quick tips that this great conversation brought about in terms of uh, idea generation today. Tom? 
Uh, that's great. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And there's one little thing I want to add, and, and maybe it's a bit of a challenge, but for everybody on the call today, one thing I want you to experiment with a little bit is when you're doing that, focus on how the person you're talking to is breathing. Uh, when for a number of reasons, we can become disconnected with the way we breathe. We're all supposed to be, you know, deep breathers, intercostal diaphragmatic breathers. We're supposed to be using all of the lobes of, you know, that are contained in our lungs. But when people get nervous, or if there's an issue, they'll start to breathe only with their upper chest, their breathing will become shallow, you may start to notice a bit of a tremor in their voice. Stop and ask the question why? Why are they having that reaction? Are they uncomfortable on video or is it something else? And if you're the one who's suffering from that, then once again, ask the question, why? Why are you now disconnected from your breath? And is it really benefiting you and the communication process? Uh, with that, Jeremy, we've only got a couple of minutes. <laughs> I've been talking a lot today and loving it. Um, uh, let's go back to you to wrap this up and, and tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about next week. Yes, Tom. I, you know, every time I know that's coming, but I, I'm always unprepared with the next week's topic. Here we go. Next week's topic is, let me look, what employees can do when their boss is a poor leader? Okay, great. What, what employees can do when their boss is a poor leader? So that is next Thursday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Very, uh, for a topic that I thought wasn't going to be as energizing today, Went very well, very excited. And I'm most excited to see there's a ton of connections, a ton in the, going on in the chat, and a ton of people networking and connecting there. We will see you all next week. Signing off in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seaboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seaboc.com.